So once again, welcome. I, tonight I'd like to begin with a story. Once upon a time, the Buddha had an attendant. So the Buddha always had an attendant, another monk that would help him out. And on this day, uh, it was the Venerable Magiya. And usually the Buddha's attendant was his cousin, Ananda. Most of the Buddha's life, uh, the person who was closest to him was his cousin, Ananda. And there's so many stories about this relationship between uh, the Buddha and Ananda. But on this day, for we don't know why, Magiya, who was a, quite a young monk, was uh, attending uh, the Buddha. And in the morning, Magiya said to uh, uh, the Buddha, uh, Venerable One, uh, I'd like to go to this nearby village on alms round. And alms round is when a monk goes to beg for food. And, and the Buddha gave him permission, and he goes and he walks to this village, gathers his food, begs for food, and then has his, his meal. And on the way back, um, from the village, he decides to walk near this river to kind of exercise his legs and get some exercise. And as he's walking back to this river, he sees this beautiful mango grove. And I don't know if you've ever seen a mango tree, but it, it spreads out in a way that it gives this really wonderful shade to it. And seeing the mango grove, he was inspired to really practice. Like he had, he was kind of on fire about practice. He really wanted to spend a day in meditation. So he goes back to the Buddha and he says, Venerable One, on the way back from alms round, I saw this mango grove, uh, grove and I was so inspired to practice. Please give me leave so I can go practice for the day. And the Buddha says something very interesting. He says, Magia, please don't leave me alone. Can you wait until another monk comes and attends on me? Which I want to point out is kind of a strange thing for the Buddhists to say because he had spent so much of his life practicing on his own. So when I hear this, he's trying to teach Magia something about this. And then uh, after, the, after the Buddha says that to, to Magia, Magia, probably, it's hard to translate this, this ancient language, but he probably said something like, oh, come on, pretty please. <laughs> That's the way I translate it. <laughs> a little more liberal translation, maybe. Come on, like, I really want to practice, please. And then he says, Mickey, I'm wondering if you can wait until another monk comes and t attends on me. Please don't leave me alone. And then again on the third time, please, pretty please, I really want to go practice. This is a wholesome thing to do. This is good to know when you ever meet a Buddha. If you, if you ask three times, a lot of times at the third time, something will change. And the Buddha says to him, very well then, Magia, please uh, go, go do as you wish. And Magia goes to the mango grove and begins to sit. And uh, what it said is that he's assailed by unwholesome thoughts. So he has these thoughts of like being angry at other people or angry at himself. And all of these hateful thoughts and other thoughts where he just feels like he's being oppressed by his mind. And it's so challenging to sit. It's just, it's just a struggle from the moment he sits down. So then he scurries back to the Buddha and he says to the Buddha, guess what? You'll never believe what happens. <laughs> I'm sure shares this with the Buddha. I'm sure the Buddha said something like, really? Is that what happened? <laughs> And then the Buddha says to him, uh, just so, Magia, 
And in this way, that's why one of the foundations for our practice is spiritual friendship, companionship with admirable friends, with friends on the path. This is what's so necessary for this path. Tonight I want to talk about this aspect of the spiritual path because it is foundational. You know, in, in, in one place, the Buddha says, with regard to external factors, I don't envision any other single factor like friendship with admirable uh, people as doing so much for a practitioner who has not attained the heart's release. Those are strong words about the importance of friendship, spiritual friendship. And tonight I'd like to share about it. I, I think from the retreat this weekend, I've, I felt inspired. It, it, it can be so inspiring just to be able to sit with other people in silence, like we do here on Monday nights. Like something happens when we sit together in silence. Have you noticed that? I still can't put my finger on it and I don't have words for it, but I gain something from it. And not only that, you'll see as you go out, we have a flyer. We're having a community celebration on Saturday evening um, at a, a place, Joni Abbott's. There's actually directions there and things like that. And if you're interested, please come join us. We're going to start at 5 p.m. And it's just a time to connect. And it's also to celebrate community. And it's important because what keeps these Monday nights and our retreats going is community. Like we have, a, we have an all-volunteer board. We have volunteers that help with the Monday nights. We have volunteers that do all kinds of things for us. Um, and it's this community spirit that actually makes this come alive. So it's, so it's, a, it's a, a foundation for what we're doing here. And it is, community is important on a number of different levels in friendship. One is, it is, I think this, this can be so easily forgotten. It's actually a basic need. I remember I was living in London and I was part of an alternative community. It was a really radical community. And it was a community for people living on the streets. And the way that the, that community was different than other organizations in London. And remember, in London, there's a lot of different services for people living on the streets. Um, all kinds of services, especially compared to the U.S., at least when I was there. This was, you know, quite a while ago. And, but this particular community I was in said, had a different vision, which is that they felt like all the other institutions had forgotten that what, a particular need that's also uh, so necessary for us is not only food and shelter and water, but community. So we spent a lot of time creating community for people living on the streets. And there was like one house where people could still be on the streets. They come in for a meal or they want to sleep for a while, but maybe they'll go out again. Um, and then there was people who had been living on the streets and then decided to commit to commu a community and were living on a farm together. So it was also really radical because we were not interested in trying to get them back into society. It was a kind of critique of society. It's like, maybe there's a good reason why they're on the streets. Like there's something about society that, that's not working for them. And how about we honor that and offer community where we're, we're not going to be doing that. We're just going to be offering community. It's a need. It's a basic need. Yet on this, on this spiritual path, it's one step further. It's not only meeting that need, it's nourishing. It's, it's a particular kind of friendship that nourishes our spiritual path. So it's a particular flavor of, of friendship. And I remember the first time I came into contact with this is when I was in 
India um, many years ago. I was in, um, where was I? I was in Sarnath, which was uh, where the Buddha gave his first teaching. And I had uh, come across the, this group of uh, English guys. They were practitioners, and they were on a pil pilgrimage. There's, it's common in many Buddhist uh, traditions to, to go to the sites where the Buddha was born, where he gained his awakening, where he died, where he gave his first teaching. And they were on a pilgrimage together. And what moved me was not their knowledge of Buddhism or their many years of practice. It was the warmth and connection that I felt around them. It was just so sweet to be around. They were, there was such a strong friendship between them. There was so much humor and laughter. And then also oh, what I heard in their conversations is just how they were supporting each other in their spiritual practice talking about practice, ways that they deal with their struggles, things that work and don't work, refining their understanding together. So a deep friendship centered around practice. And what struck me was one was their connection, but also this feeling sense of this being different from other friendships in this manner. It was situated around a spiritual practice. Really so moving. And I think it was then that I started to realize, oh, this is really an important part of the practice. I always thought that, you know, we, we do meditation on our, on our own and it feels so solitary. But actually, it's not. Practice happens in community. I mean, even in the Tibetan tradition where, you know, it's not uncommon for monks to either do a three-year retreat or another common thing is a 12-year retreat. And then there's monks and nuns that go on a lifetime retreat. But often when they're on solitary retreat, they're still in a community. People, is, people are giving them food, or sometimes they're offering blessings in some way. It's happening within a community context because of this. So it's this question of where will you find this? And I think it's really unique to each and every one of us is where you find that sense of spiritual friendship. And it can have so many different flavors to it. For example, for me, just recently, about six months ago, an old uh, brother monk of mine uh, uh, got in touch with me, and we've been having these monthly conversations. And it's been so great just to talk about practice and where our challenges and difficulties are in our life, and where is the edge for us? What are the things that we don't understand or we struggle with? And what are the things that, that are alive for us? And I wanted to point out, especially this connection I have with him, because when we were monks together, we had some serious conflicts. There was some really bad times between us. It's amazing that we're still talking. It was really intense at times, I mean, living in a Zen center together. So it's not, you know, a rosy picture. And even when we get together, I mean, I think it's kind of the Zen spirit of, of there's a lot of things we disagree with about it was it's not like we're on the same page and there's something rich about that to be able to hold that too so i think that's been something that's important for me in spiritual friendship is you don't always have to be on this uh, the same page and can it be a friendship that can hold that and maybe some of you know a friendship that can hold the ups and downs the bumps that sometimes happens you know with each other And this is, again, such a basis of what we're doing here. You know, sometimes when I reflect on Monday nights, I think maybe the most important part of our night together is the mingling time. 
and, and I mean that seriously, it might be just as significant as your silent sitting meditation, more significant than anything I'm saying. <laughs> that sense of connection, that sense of, of a possibility for different kinds of conversations eventually. And I want to point out also what I sometimes find about spiritual friendship is that they, they sometimes take a longer time to kind of develop and to kind of uh, uh, land in my life because they're touching a p different part of my life. It's different than when I just connect with somebody and have a good time, opening up for a different conver conversation. So it's, it, so it's required from me a kind of patience with that unfolding. So really a big part of this. And again, something that that can be uh, a point that people don't understand is to remember that the Buddha spent most of his life, his 80 years on this planet, creating community. He spent so much time creating ways of practice that would continue on, dealing with all the dynamics that happened in community and in friendships. And even the way he was spoken about, you know, often he would be called um, or he'd refer to himself as a Kalyanamita, as a spiritual friend, just um, uh, that he would be with others. And that changes. Like in Tibetan Buddhism, there is the, the teacher starts to become a guru. But in early Buddhism, the, the, the model is uh, one of spiritual friendship, which I think is really interesting that it does change later on in Buddhism. But that was the model in early Buddhism. There's still a hierarchy in terms of seniority, but there was a different different ethos around how teachings were were shared. And I think here in this community, one of this is one of the things that we explore is not not only what we are exploring together, and of course many of you know the, the term I always like to emphasize is that this is exploration rather than belief. It's not about agreeing on things. But it's not only about what we're exploring, but how we're exploring it together, how we are engaging in it and the context within which we're engaging in, in it. So in particular, one of the, that's one of the reasons why one of the foundations for our community is that, that it's based on dana or generosity, that there is a commitment right now that we offer everything um, what's called on a dana basis, which means we offer it freely. And, and it's so important because it, it shapes how we interact with one another to have that, that sense that it's much better, it would be much better for this, this community to break up and dissolve than to have to get into some kind of exchange that might exclude people. It's really so essential. And it gives a different feeling. Have you noticed that it can be a different feeling when something's freely given? And then if there's a, an impulse to be generous, great. And if there's not, that's okay too. But it helps shape the how we're doing this together, how we are engaged in this together. So back to friendship, tying this into friendship. Another way that friendship helps that, you know, the, the Buddha we find in early Buddhism points out is he says again and again, like, if you want to cultivate equanimity in your life, one of the best ways to do that is to hang out with people who have a sense of equanimity. If I'm looking to cultivate joy in my life, I want to be around people that are joyful because then I can start to see what that's like. 
you know, I can, I can, this is all around kind of, you could say, uh, social learning, the modeling that happens. If I want to learn about mindfulness, I found it so helpful to be in communities that value mindfulness. Just being in that field of that. This is, this is a huge way that we, we learn things, is just being around people that, that, that can help us with these different things. Often that's what I look for. I, I think of many different friends, and they have qualities that, that I really honor and respect. And I, I want to model myself after them in terms of their, their wholesome qualities. And then also, not only in terms of what I want to cultivate, but also friendship in terms of support. I'm sure all of you here can think of times where you've had some kind of challenge or difficulty and where it's made a difference when there's been someone around that you feel safe with and you feel connected with that's there just to listen or to be with you. It makes a big difference, doesn't it? And maybe oppositely, you know what it's like to offer that to someone, how great that is to be able to, to, to offer that and, and what, a, what a huge gift that is that we give to each other um, and also to ourselves. Now, one poem about this is from Stephen Dunn that I think speaks to this a little bit, entitled Sweetness. Especially around challenges. He begins, Just when it has seemed I couldn't bear one more friend waking with a tumor, one more maniac with a perfect reason, often a sweetness has come and changed nothing in the world except the way I stumbled through it. For a while lost in the ignorance of loving someone or something, the world shrunk to mouth size, hand size, and never seeming small. I acknowledge there is no sweetness that doesn't leave a stain, no sweetness that's ever sufficiently sweet. Tonight, a friend called to say his lover was killed in a car he was driving. His voice was low and guttural. He repeated what he needed to repeat, and I repeated the one or two words we have for such grief until we were speaking only in tones. Often a sweetness comes as if on loan, stays just long enough to make sense of what it means to be alive, then returns to its dark source. As for me, I don't care where it's been or what bitter road it's traveled to come so far and to taste so good. It's that sweetness of friendship that really can take us through hard times. So important for our lives, for our spiritual practice. 
it's truly healing to connect. We're wired to connect. You know, when we feel safe with another human being, it has that potential. And not only healing, we, we galvanize that quality of being wired to connect to bring us towards freedom, the heart's release, a different way of being in the world. Also, what I've noticed about practices about friendship, spiritual friendship, is how it supports my practice. It's so helpful to have a community or particular people that are supporting my spiritual practice. Like one place this helps, I find, is I find spiritual friendship helps with commitment. And, you know, as I pointed out, you know, this path is not, we're not here, it's not so much about a set of beliefs that you're supposed to believe. It's about cultivating a commitment, you know, to a different way of living, a different way of being, however that is for you. And I think that's one of the things that was so great when I was doing the Zen monk thing. Just having a community where we were supporting each other in practice. You know, we would get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to practice. I don't know if I've gotten up once on my own at 3 o'clock in the morning to practice. <laughs> so I just want to be clear about that. It is so difficult. I hate mornings. I practiced because I was in a community that carried me forward. It's not like I was disciplined. I'm still not a disciplined person. Community carries me forward. And I think this Monday night also can be a kind of touchstone for a practice. Have you noticed? It can be so difficult. It can be a pain to sit on your own. We can have the best of intentions to really cultivate the mind, to refine the mind, and then our daily practice kind of veers away. And I want to normalize that. It's kind of what happens. And yet having a community to come back to, even a Monday night, just to sit in silence to help reignite that commitment, or a friend that you can talk to about practice can reignite it. And so important in terms of this spiritual commitment, because the Buddha was really clear about this specific spiritual path. It goes against the stream of society. That's why he talked about this path, about going against the stream. You know, we live in a society that's always telling us to buy more things, to make more money, to become more successful. And a spiritual path is so radically different than that. And yet, have you felt the hook of that call of how the society works that really, at least I've noticed, doesn't lead to much happiness, to much freedom, and definitely doesn't lead to connection. It leads to separation. At least that's been my feeling. Spiritual friendship allows for me to go against the stream. So where do you find that in your life? Where can you start to make space for that? Just a, a, a couple more points here. It, 
the way that the Buddha defines spiritual friendship, I, I want to be clear, it's not like you have to find friends who meditate or have your particular perspective. It's the people that, uh, that, that uh, there's in the relationship and kind of onward leading feel to it. You know what I'm talking about? Which is different than when you're in relationships where it feels like you're being pulled in a way that you know is not onward leading. And this is, this is kind of controversial, and this is why the Buddha said, be, be clear about who you're hanging out with. And of course, there's many people that we can't choose, you know, we, we're thrown into certain families and certain situations, and we have to navigate that, or certain work situations, and then that becomes our real practice. <laughs> and where can I choose the people I, I really want to be influenced by? I find that an important question to ask myself. And so there is a place at times to make a boundary of how you're spending your time. At the same time, and this came kind of through with the story of, uh, you know, this, this brother monk of mine, that at the same time with spiritual friendship, I need to remember people are imperfect and I am imperfect. So if I'm looking for perfect people, that's a setup. It's just a setup for isolation. And sometimes that's what can happen in our minds is we, we only want to hang out with the perfect people. Uh, tell me when you meet one. <laughs> and it, so I, I need to have the endurance to, to also navigate the ups and downs. And navigating the ups and downs is, has a different feeling than a kind of friendship that's taking me down the wrong road. And can you clarify that in your own life? And what what the wrong road means to you. I'm not here to dictate what that is. That's something to clarify for your own life and what that means to you. I'm just throwing that out there to reflect and then you get clear about what that means. And then lastly, there's another meaning to spiritual friendship, which I, I want to tie into our practice. And this comes from... Um, a kind of interchange that happens with the Buddha and his cousin, Ananda. And Ananda was having a conversation with another monk, and they were talking about spiritual friendship. And one of, the, one of them was saying, well, spiritual friendship is half of the holy life, half of the spiritual life. And another one was saying, well, I don't think that's right. And then Ananda's like, well, let me go ask the Buddha. Let's, let's, let's check it out. So he goes to the Buddha and says, so Venerable One, is, is spiritual friendship half the, 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 the spiritual life, or is it something different? And he says, don't say that, Ananda. Spiritual friendship is the entirety of this life. Which again, I find so striking because here we're, we're emphasizing meditation so much and here the Buddha is saying, no, no this, is, this is what the, the spiritual life is all about. And I think there's two ways to understand it. One is the foundation. And then there's another poetic way of understanding this word is that, that uh, what the spiritual path is, is it's about making friends with the good. It's making friends with that which is onward leading, that which leads to your freedom. Can you make friends with that, with anything that's there? Making friends with mindfulness, with equanimity, with joy. Making friends with that so that friend comes back again and again more in your mind. And then even more importantly, can you make friends with your mind? You know, it's difficult to make friends with people, but boy, making a friends with your friends with your mind. 
Have you tried that? <laughs> so much of meditation, that's what we're doing. It's just the mind's going to do what it's going to do tonight. Can you be okay with it? And when I mean being friends, it doesn't mean I'm going to go along with what the mind's thinking, but I'm not going to fight with it. If it's lost in thought, I know it's lost in thought, and then I come back to the breath. I notice that thinking's happened. But there's a friendly way to be, yeah, I'm not going to really explore that right now. I'm going to come back to the breath. Yeah, oh, interesting. Thinking's happening. Worrying's happening. That's okay. Do you hear the friendly quality there? Such an important aspect for our meditation. So tonight, let's... Uh, this will be the thing to explore, this quality of friendliness. And in light of this, maybe we could uh, maybe just take a moment or a minute to stretch your legs or move around, and then we'll begin uh, sitting together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.